You're listening to the Order 66 Podcast, brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and the generous donations of Jared Williams, Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, Sean Kumar, Darren Hampton, Andy Bethel, B. Witzel, and Balaam's Blasters. What is up, Gamer Nation? GM Chris here, and for those tuning in for the very first time, welcome to the original podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars role-playing, the Order 66 podcast! And uh, I am joined tonight by one of my co-hosts, a man who is excellent in all the ways that one can be excellent, GM Phil. (laughs) (laughs) From frozen north east. Sweet Christmas, it's cold up here. Well, at least your computer's not going to overheat. Yeah, that's not a problem today. I can tell you that right now. (laughs) What's the temperature? I woke up this morning. The temperature was literally negative 7. Negative 7. The air temperature before wind chill was negative 7. Oh, my God. According to my phone, right now it is a whopping 9 degrees out. All right, so for our European listeners or our Canadian listeners, that's negative 21 Celsius is what he woke up with at. And and you said, you, and, and right now it's negative 12. So, <laughs> But later this week, it's supposed to get up into the 50s. Okay, okay, so it's going to get, it's going to get, it's going to get up there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're sitting, we're sitting at about, at about 55 degrees, about 12 degrees uh, Celsius um, right now in Dallas, man. And, uh we we got a, we got a little chilly over the holiday like we like we got down to maybe 25 Fahrenheit like negative 4 maybe uh Celsius. Yeah, um, did you guys get snow down there? Nah, no snow. I wish. All right. But yeah, we just got ice. We don't get snow here. We get ice. We get shit tons of ice. It's all the yeah. fun. It's fun. It's fun and far out and solid and, and right on. <laughs> well, yeah, it's solid. It's ice. <laughs> How was your holiday, man? My holiday was good. My holiday was real good. Um, Christmas was enjoyable. New Year's, we kicked out 2017 and rang in 2018. So, yeah, it, it, 2017 was a kick out year. I'll tell you that. Um, Damn right it was. Was a it was a crazy year. And you guys also might be noticing we are sans one of our hosts tonight. GM Dave can't be with us because um, his life is just as equally crazy, and he's having to uh, close out his brand new game store tonight, um, mm. as in work the closing shift. So. Um, he unfortunately can't be with us, but we're wishing yeah. him the best of luck. Um, Absolutely. And love and all that. So you want to hear something trippy? Sure. In precisely seven days from today, the 14th of January, 2018, mm-hmm. the Order 66 podcast will have been on the air for 10 years. Hokey smokes. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, yeah, two thousand. Yeah, man, two thousand eight. Ten years, two systems, 
10 years of Star Wars role playing. Nary a hitch there, you know? I know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's kind of crazy. But, you know, despite the fact that we are Sans Dave, uh, Phil and I are going to uh, uh, flip into this show uh, feet first um, off the high board, not the low board that the little ones use, but the big diving board, you know, the giant one that you can like break your neck off of, you know, the big guys, the big guys, the con- yeah, one of one of the we're going to we're going we're gonna to do that right now. You want to get to some announcements? Let's do it. Let's do it. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Announcements. What do we got? Well, we have the featured podcast of the week. And quite simply, folks, Dragon Age is wonderful. It's just amazing. And for those who have enjoyed the brilliant world of Dragon Age and have not yet tried the equally brilliant tabletop RPG for Dragon Age, you're missing out. Keeping the torch lit on the Dragon Age front is the Wonders of of Thetis podcast, which has just dropped episode 42, This Dragon Breeds Lightning where the hosts talk about adversary design and intensive Q&A about, other episode, about older episodes. Go and give it a listen. You can find that and many more great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. Wonders that this is greatly produced. I, I am a huge fan. Um, oh, yeah. Fantasy Flight Games news. FFG Phil continues to make me drool. Over the forthcoming mm. Dawn of Rebellion era sourcebook, the first era sourcebook, mm. um, with a new article they dropped, Building a Galaxy, uh, that highlights uh, really kind of the independent organizations of the Dark Times uh, that are going to be in this book by detailing one of them in particular, the Broken Horn Syndicate. Uh, first introduced for fans of, of the Rebels television show, uh, you, will, you will recognize um, this syndicate of gunrunners headed by Visago. Um, and the article deals with the details of this nefarious organization and stats for Visago's flagship and even teases Visago's stats himself. I cannot yes. wait for this book to drop. Oh, um, man. I'm all over this damn book. Uh, do we know when the release date is on that? <laughs> Any day now. I yeah. mean, it's supposedly on the boat, wherever the boat is. Um, we don't even know. It might even be that they're producing it in-house again, you know, how they did with Genesis, where they print, actually printed Genesis in the U.S. this time because of all the issues they had last year with the boat. Dude. But who knows? Maybe they've got a contract, and maybe this, this is actually on the boat with, like, three other books. So, Dude. Dude. Well, you guys can find that article, um, as well as much, much more, over at www.fantasyflightgames.com. And while you're surfing about, you simply must head over to the only gaming blog on the interwebs that, officially and dubiously, is endorsed by the Midichlorians Are Real Galactic Action Committee. Those poor bastards. D20Radio.com! There, the finest gaming minds and authors come together, without Midichlorians, to bring you the best fan-generated content and articles in the Outer Rim. Some highlights from the past week include Scott Alden and Chris Hunt bringing us fan stat blocks for both the ATM-6, those cool new walkers from The Last Jedi, and the Resistance Bomber, the MG-100 Star Fortress SF-17, which we also see in the film. These new vehicles are ready to throw down on your table tonight. Good stuff, gentlemen. And Kim Fransden returns to his much-loved installment series on clerical domains in Pathfinder, with a deep dive into the underutilized community domain. 
It's a great read. You can find those and many more articles daily over at www.d20radio.com. And while you're at d20radio.com checking out all the cool articles, all the cool podcasts, you can, of course, find two buttons on the right-hand side of the page. One of them will take you to our extremely active forum community. The other will take you to our Patreon, or you can just head to patreon.com slash d20radio. If you guys are a fan of this podcast, you're a fan of the D20 Radio Network, the content we produce, not only uh, in an auditory sense, but also on the blog, and you wish to help us keep the show running, keep the lights on, and most importantly to us, keep our authors paid for the content they contribute, help us out. A couple bucks a month. That's all we ask. There's some very interesting pledge options there for those of you who'd like a little bit more. So check it out. And of course, stay in the know. Follow D20 Radio on Facebook for news and podcast info on a daily basis. We have a D20 Radio Facebook group that is really hopping. We also have a dedicated Order 66 podcast Facebook page. And of course, if you're a Twitterer, a Twitterer, Tweeter, tweet, Tweeter, Twitterer, Twitterite, Twitter, Twitter, Twit, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think Twit fits. I mean, I could go one more, but you know, hey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably, probably, yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you are a Twitter user, follow us on Twitter at D20 Radio. We we post and tweet show info and announcements regularly on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, there are folks watching us live tonight and watch a lot of our episodes live because we let you know when we're going to have live episodes. So, uh, yeah, follow us. Engage. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. All right, Phil. Um, I think we're going to do something we haven't done in a while. Oh? Yes. Let me take that back, huh? Let me find what you need. Oh! Welcome back to Watto's Black Market, where the skeezy scoundrels of the Outer Rim Territories can procure the weapons and gear to make a living on the edge of the Empire just a little more tolerable. Tonight's trip to Watto's uh, was brought to us some time ago by GM Connor. And Phil, he sent us a transmission, did he not? He did. And I just also want to say, I missed that intro. Yeah. That was an uh, I'm such a fun intro. It's a good intro. So he sent the following transmission. Morning, Watto. Sands are pretty wild out here today. Had a merchant with a dangerous covenant talk to me about a Merson VX hands-free weapon system over on 53rd Street. Said it could throw any pistol or rifle with an encumbrance of less than four kilos or so and integrate it into your armor for a couple hard points. And one in the weapon, too. Can fire it without using your arms and such. Can you give me a better rundown on it? How does it hold up to ion weapons? Does it let a guy fire with that weapon and whatever weapon he's holding at the same time? If so, can he split targets? If I were to hire and suit up a nemesis with something like that, could I, say, give him a backpack of droid brains to automatically fire the thing? Perhaps even let the droid brain and nemesis have different levels of cool and fire differently to confuse or challenge their foes? (laughs) Wow. Wow, Connor. Um, First of all, I have to commend you on the quality and strong flavor of this cheese. Um, such a such a strong and pungent aroma. Pungent aroma to this cheese. It's stupendously wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
<laughs> While the VX hands-free weapon system is nifty, there's some pretty hard in-game interactions uh, and limitations that are still going to apply. So what do you say, Phil? Let's talk about them. Tell me about the VX. Sure. Okay. So the armor attachment for the Marison VX hands-free weapon system can be found on page 53 of Dangerous Covenants. It's a fairly expensive armor attachment at 1,000 credits, it's a rig that lets you attach a weapon of encumbrance four or less to the armor and fire it without using your hands. It's often shoulder-mounted in practice. The firing mechanism can range from voice activation to pressure-sensitive gloves that utilize hand movements to possibly even direct neural links. They usually include an ocular targeting package as well. All flavor, of course. Now, mechanically, this, at this attachment simply lets you aim and fire a weapon without the use of an arm or a hand. It takes up two hard points on the armor, and it requires a hard point on the weapon you're attaching to the armor. This means any weapon could be attached, melee or ranged, as long as it meets the encumbrance for or less requirement. And you could attach the weapon to any part of the armor. But realistically, melee weapons really only make sense when attached to the arms in such fashion, which kind of neuters one of the key features of the attachment. So blasters and other ranged weapons are typically what we'll see. Now... As for ion damage, it's a piece of equipment, but ion damage is only mechanically defined in relation to vehicles and droids, where it deals system strain and strain. Yes, ion damage could affect any item or piece of technological equipment, such as the attachment or the mounted weapon, but it would, by rules as written, require the opponent to physically target the item, and there's rules for that. Beyond that, it comes down to the narrative and how your GM wants to handle it. Hmm. Now, in regards to your crazy questions, <laughs> Connor, um, there's some key things you've got to keep in mind in terms of the rules of this system, most of which are going to prevent the delicious melty cheese that you are suggesting in your transmission. Um, first of all, remember, it takes an action to fire a weapon. It does not matter if the weapon is mounted via the VX hands-free system or if it's held in your hand, period. So this attachment isn't going to give you a free extra attack. It doesn't work that way. Um, mm -hmm. Barring crazy narrative results on your rolls, you're only going to get one action each round, bro. I mean, that's it. And mm -hmm. having said that, there's nothing stopping you from utilizing an attached weapon that's attached mounted through the VX hands-free system um, as a part of a single action two-weapon attack, uh, which would follow the normal rules for attacking with two weapons. Um, the only real benefit of doing that, though, is that you could be holding like a two-handed weapon and then have a different weapon mounted to the armor with the VX system, and you could fire both as a two-weapon attack, and that's something you normally can't do. Right. Um, so that that is a big benefit. Um, but it might be worth the thousand credits. I don't know. <laughs> True enough. But what about, what, now, what, about, what about this this backpack of <laughs> droid brains idea? <laughs> um. <coughs> okay. It. Um. Well, it just don't work like that. If you have a droid brain, you have a droid. An NPC with its own skill ranks and its own place in initiative. It's not like your fictional nemesis would get seven attacks on his turn that utilize his skill ranks. He'd get a turn, and then each droid brain, an independent NPC, would get their own turn, firing a gun and with their own dice pool. And... For Pete's sake, it would be cheaper to give the droid brain to a, tiny to a tiny chassis and a single claw arm that is holding the gun than to pay ten, uh, a thousand credits a pop to somehow attach them all to your armor. <laughs> You'd be running the same mechanically if the nemesis just had a cadre of tiny droids running around with him, each with a weapon. 
So yeah, what is it? What, what's the character from Rebels? With seventh sister, I think. Yeah, with her little droids. Um, yep. Yeah, it's there. I don't know. This is a pretty interesting piece of gear, Phil. I mean, it's it's definitely thematic and flavorful. It has a very much a, a predator vibe. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Shoulder mounted plasma cannon. Shoulder mounted plasma cannon. Um, but that encumbrance limit of four is actually pretty hefty. I mean, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, but you could attach some pretty big weaponry to that. Yeah, you can. Uh, encumbrance four that allows for some pretty decent sized weaponry. I mean, um, yeah. And I'm, I'm, well, I'm. Go ahead. I was about to say. Let's see here. I've got uh, my handy dandy uh, Age of Rebellion GM screen here. So uh, encumbrance four. That's up to a blaster rifle, man. Dude. Ion blasters, disruptor pistols, uh, missile tube. Missile tube is hard point four. <laughs> or encumbrance four. Encumbrance four. No. Um, oh, shoot. No. Uh, missile tube is encumbrance seven. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. So that's um, already big. I was looking at the wrong column. Um, now, and you wouldn't mount an anti-vehicle mine to that. <laughs> but a force pike. Dude, a force pike? A vibro axe. You could axe. mount a vibro axe. You actually could. Um, that's, that's, I guess the advantage of that is you can't disarm it. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> and you could, you could still technically keep your hands free. Um, right. but I mean, yeah, you could go, you could go a blaster rifle on this. You, you really could. I mean, a, a carbine's only encumbrance three, a blaster rifle's encumbrance four. That's hardcore firepower hands free. And it would allow you to dual wield blaster rifles in essence. Right. Um, which is mm, pretty boss. That's pretty Freaking boss, yeah. Uh, it makes me wish I thought of this attachment when we were talking about our gunslinger builds. Right? Damn. <laughs> but actually, I think both of those utilize ranged light anyway for their they tricks. They do, they do, they do. Okay, now, Huli brings up another good one, though. Micro-missiles. There you go. Uh, there you go. It's all good. It's all good. Well, good suggestion. If you guys have any other suggestions uh, for uh, Watto's... Uh, <laughs> Watto's Black Market. Uh, you can, uh, of course, head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums and the Order 66 podcast boards. We've got a dedicated thread devoted to it. You can email us, GM Chris, GM Phil, or GM Dave at d20radio.com, or post it up on the Facebook page. We'd love to get more suggestions, because we rarely get to visit Watto's anymore. We really rarely... We haven't gotten a request in a long time. And yeah. I, I think we just got to a point where, I mean, everyone's like, doesn't really have any more questions about equipment. You know what I mean? Um... But uh, I don't know. They don't ask us. We don't, you know, we can't go to Watto. That's pretty much it. So if you have something you'd like us to discuss, let us know. Let us know. And and speaking of things um, to discuss, uh, where mm-hmm. people have made requests, um, I'm pretty excited to get to the meat of tonight's show. Um, so shall we? Let us. Let's do it. Okay, so listeners, the last few months have been really crazy over here at the Order 66 podcast. We've had a host, you know, in cancer recovery. You should see the other guy. You, you should see the other guy. Uh, we have a host who's taken the plunge into owning his own game store, and he is boldly swimming that channel. And you have another host who's been traveling so much, his passport looks like a retired grandmother's coupon book. Um... But as the new year brings things back to normalcy, somewhat, 
The Order 66 podcast finds itself returning to uh, form with a long overdue walk through the hallowed halls of specialization discussion with the Mm. return of our Well Isn't That Special segment devoted to exploring an individual specialization in detail. Not only do we go through the ins and outs, role-playing and mechanical, but we discussed how to best complement a spec and we put our own advice to the task as the host's butt brains in a bombastic build-off, which you can weigh in on after you listen. Tonight's specialization comes in by listener requests from Wookiee Scholar, That Jake Guy, Krasny October, and NL Dak, all of whom have asked that we dive into the Mystic's Advisor specialization. Is it a face character? Is it a support character? A social combat monster? A conniving con man? Or just a lonely Jedi looking for a swipe right? We're going to find out. So practice those gleaming smiles, Gamer Nation. Clear your throat and make sure you got some breath mints. Because we are going to go face first into one of the more unusual face characters tonight on your Order 66 podcast. And what makes you so special? In my book, experience outranks everything. Great kid! Don't get cocky! I'm looking forward to completing your training. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. Well, isn't that special? Oh, the advisor, Phil. The advisor, the advisor, the advisor. It is an odd spec, isn't it? Yeah, it it really is. (laughs) Let's talk about how it's odd. Um, You'll find this on page 81 of the Force and Destiny core rulebook. The advisor is part of the mystic career, and some have expressed confusion about its inclusion there. The mystic, at least at first glance, seems to be a career all about an esoteric connection to the Force. But the mystic is actually a career about a Force user with strong personality and presence. As such, it makes sense that the presence-focused advisor belongs here. But as we'll see, the advisor has a much different role than the leadership-focused builds of the consular. Now, Getting on to playing an advisor and finding out what they're about and what do they care about. When playing an advisor, what choices and play styles define the character in general? Well, the big screaming obvious one is you are not a leader. You are a support character. This is kind of weird, but it's really the heart of the specialization. And they even take pains to call it out in the book. You are a support character. You have an incredibly versatile, social-focused character. You have access to every single social skill in the game, and even the soft social skills like Streetwise, except for leadership. The advisor is just that. You are an advisor. You're the character who supports the leadership, the character in the wings, the man behind the curtain, the relied-upon counselor, etc., Now, what's unusual about this spec is that most socially able specs in the game are primed to let the character fill the role of the party leader. But that's not what this spec is about. It's about assistance and support. Yeah. The other thing about this spec that makes it a little unusual for me is that it is a highly narrative spec. Oh, yes. Mostly. Um, What's really weird is that when it comes to the advisor few of its talents, very few, have any direct combat potential. Um, With a few exceptions, its capabilities are all best used when the blasters are holstered and the lightsabers are out of sight. 
With the exception of just a couple defensive or recovery-focused talents, this spec has zero direct combat encounter capability. Zero combat skills. Even the combat-focused social abilities like inspiring rhetoric or scathing tirade that you would expect to see for a talent tree for a face character, they are not there. They are not available to the advisor. Where this spec succeeds in its power is in narrative encounters, especially social encounters. And to be effective in very dangerous situations, a pure advisor really needs to rely on the force. Um, and they actually have a couple tricks up their sleeve to actually make them pretty effective in that area. But that's definitely something you've got to consider. Yeah. Now the question comes, and this was actually raised by some of the folks who requested this, uh, is, are you a convincing counselor or are you a confidence man? <laughs> Now remember, this is Fantasy Flight game Star Wars, not the systems that came before. This means that, as a Force user, you can play a wildly successful character without being slavishly devoted to the light side of the Force or the vaunted ideals of the Jedi Order. Now, are these advisors, are, are there advisors who serve to support leadership because they believe this is their proper role? Because the power of the Force is too great and tempting for a Jedi to take power and lead? Absolutely. But there are advisors who use their gifts in the Force to rule from the shadows, who stay out of the limelight because those within it get shot. These are the puppet masters who can get what they want by relying on their cunning and bilking unsuspecting fools for all that they can. <laughs> this, is an, this is absolutely a path that you could take with this character. You are a character who, as a pure advisor at least, doesn't have the, doesn't have the role of the leader. But that doesn't mean you're not benevolent. You can easily fill the archetype of the classic Jedi advisor. Or you can easily become one of the best con men in the galaxy. Unnoticed, self-serving, and using the Force to influence the weak. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's shocking. This spec seemed remarkably underpowered when I first read it. Until you start to realize that, yeah, it's only underpowered if you're going to be a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you're gonna be a dick. You're gonna. <laughs> you're gonna be a dick. This is a great spec. Um, <laughs> or if you're just really focused on being a good support social character, but right. So okay, with this in mind and understanding kind of the the role playing uh, foundations that underpin this this particular specialization, let's get into the mechanics. Let's start by talking characteristics. I mean, based on this and what we've told you guys. What characteristics should be paramount for such a character? Where are you going to put the majority of your XP at character creation? Mm. Now, from a primary characteristic standpoint, honestly, it's kind of a toss-up between presence and cunning. Um, yeah. I ideally, both. As a social character, every social skill but one relies on presence or cunning. Um, which should be the priority? Well, that depends on whether you want to be a charmer or a deceiver. A negotiator? or a streetwise info gatherer. At the very least, you want to ensure that you don't have a one in either characteristic, and ideally, one of them, if not both, should be at least at a three. Now, while this might be a tall order, your species choice, as we'll see, can really help round this out. Mm -hmm. Now, secondary to that, you're going to want to look at willpower. Yeah. Depending on your build, this might be as good or better than presence or cunning. Not only does it key in to that one other social skill coercion but it also keys to discipline one skill you do not have in your career list 
And if you're going to rely heavily on the Force, having a better discipline pool through characteristics, since it's going to be expensive to bump it up with ranks, it's a pretty is it's not a bad idea to have a high willpower just yeah. flat out. Amen. Uh, willpower also increases increases your strain threshold, an essential thing for any character who frequently engages in social encounters. Like the advisor. Just saying. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so really we're talking about the big three here. We're talking about the three social characteristics. We're talking about really you should probably have a high presence, a high cunning, and a high willpower. Yeah. Um, you know, or at least you know, none of them should be poor, is what we're saying. No. No. Okay, well, how does that play into skills, Phil? Because mm. skills, the skill is for the mystic's advisor, is a really powerful mix of social skills and utility skills. And like we said, there is only one social skill, leadership, that you don't have access to. And thematically, it's not really a part of your shtick anyway. So, right. what are we looking at from a career standpoint here? Well, from the mystic's career, you get career skill access to charm, coercion, knowledge, lore. Knowledge on a rim, perception, and vigilance. Okay. For your three free ranks, remember, this is a Force and Destiny career, the three that scream out as, Take me! are charm, coercion, and knowledge lore. Hmm. Now, charm, because, duh. Duh. Coercion is kind of iffy, and if you're not playing a character that will use it, then don't take it. Uh, I mean, perception and vigilance are both great substitutes for that. Yeah. Now, knowledge lore is essential for just one thing. One utterly amazing and cheap talent. Knowledge is power. We'll talk about that in depth in a moment. It doesn't matter if your intellect is a one. Your lore pool doesn't matter. What matters is your ranks. If you're going to use force powers in any capacity, this is essential for this spec. Take the free rank. Then bump it up as often as you are able. First of all, you're a support character who knows things, and this skill helps with that. Beyond that, one talent, and we'll talk about it in a moment, can let you get a force rating well above your station for a single check, and it all relies on this skill. Mm. <clears throat> now, when we get to the specialization skills, the advisor spec adds uh, to your career skill list charm, again, deception, negotiation, and streetwise. A wonderful list of purely social capabilities. Now, if you're going to be a charm-focused character, then take the second free rank. That's 10 XP that you don't have to spend. Otherwise, any of the remaining three skills are wonderful for a free rank. A well-rounded advisor is eventually going to have ranks in all of them. So, mm -hmm. just, yeah. There you go. If anything, you, you it's it's not like when, when it comes to skill choices, especially with this, you you kind of have a, a um you kind of have a plethora of choices. They're all really good. It's really, it's it was hard trying to choose which ones to take. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of being hard to choose which ones to take, <laughs> let's talk species, shall we? Yes. What species are going to fit the model of the advisor the best? This is Fantasy Flight Game Star Wars, so any species will do, really. But some are going to give you a nice advantage right off the bat. Ideally, you want a species with at least two in presence, cunning, and willpower. And preferably a three in one of those core characteristics, as well. Unfortunately, there is no species currently available with a three in cunning and presence. Because, my god, that would be overpowered. <laughs> yeah, that would be OP. <laughs> some strong choices. Yes. 
Um, I first think of um, of of one of the more consummate uh, social, especially nefariously underhanded social character options in the game, the Bothans. Mm. Um, uh, Edge of the Empire core rulebook, page 43. Age of Rebellion core rulebook, page 51. Um, as extremely noted in Star Wars mythos, socially focused characters and spies, uh, Bothans start with 100 XP, a 3 in cunning, and 2s in presence and will. You add to that a free rank in streetwise and the, a free rank in the convincing demeanor talent, and they are superb choices for the deception streetwise focused advisor. Now, still dipping into the expanded universe, uh, the one that I leap to mind is the Feline. Yeah. The storied Feline are superb social characters with twos in willpower and cunning and a three in presence, and a shockingly high 12 plus willpower strain threshold. They only get 90 starting XP, but they get a free rank and charm, and their beguiling pheromone ability, sacrifice two strain to upgrade any charm, deception, or negotiation check, totally makes up for it. <laughs> yeah. They are a solid choice. They are. Um, very, very strong choice. Another strong choice, um, standbys for social characters, uh, so really since the beta, the Twi'lek. Um, yeah. uh, Edge of the Empire core rulebook, page 51. Um, Force and Destiny core rulebook, page 61. Oh, and note that we said the Feline, they are uh, fly casual? Yes, I'm sorry. Fly yeah. casual, page 18. Page 18, for those who are, are, are looking for them. Um, but Twi'leks, Edge of the Empire core rulebook, Force and Destiny core rulebook. Um, I mean, these are the most classic face characters in the Star Wars yeah. mythos. They really are. Um, and the Twi'leks, three in presence and twos in cunning and will, very appealing. They start with 100 XP and they get a free rank in charm or deception. That Perfect. is that is a hugely efficient character option from an XP expenditure build. Another possible uh, race to choose <clears throat> is the Gossam. Hmm. Desperate Allies, page 20. The slight Gossam carry 100 starting XPs, 2 in willpower and presence, and a 3 in cunning. Add to that a free rank of deception, and they fit a cunning-based advisor build quite nicely. Yeah, yeah, they do. And they have a reputation for being devious little toads. Yep. Um, <clears throat> no, that's a good good suggestion. Um, <laughs> speaking of devious little toads, um, mm-hmm. another another great suggestion um, from Enter the Unknown, page 22. The Toy Darian. Ah, yes. Um, classic social expert ever since the prequels introduced them. Uh, the Wily Toy Darians, they only start with 90 XP, but they more than make up with that with threes in both presence and willpower mm. and a two in cunning. Nice. Um, this is one of the few species with starting threes in two of the key characteristics for the advisor. Highly there recommend it. Yeah. I got an oddball one for you. Okay. Page 94, Lords of Nalhutta. Oh, God. The Hut. <laughs> now, this is a strange one. And we're only mentioning it because it's a marvelous example of a character playing against type. Huts only get 70 starting XP. And they only have twos in presence and cunning. But they get a three in willpower. And a free rank in coercion or discipline. And a free rank in nobody's fool talents as well. If your advisor is focused on social encounters or simply on coercion as their bailiwick, this could be a strong choice. It's a very limited choice, but it's fun enough to be worth mentioning. Yes. Okay, and one other thing I I have to mention, I'm sorry. Nexus of Power, page 101. Uh Uh-huh. The Gungan. Uh. Yeah, okay, 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 okay. If you can stomach it. Um, or perhaps more importantly, if your group can stomach it, 
<laughs> Gungans are actually quite a solid choice for an advisor. Um, 100 XP, twos in cunning and will, three in presence. That is solid. Um, plus, you know, a Gungan as a social character is a very off type, um, and that could be very rewarding to play. But I do have to make a comment here and a little bit of a disclaimer. The Order 66 hot podcast holds zero liability if your group beats you to death with dice bags for doing this. It's true. Just saying. Just, yep. yeah, it's there. It's out there. Okay. Yeah. Now, as we often do, we're going to break out the advisor's talents into a set of archetypes that, at least thematically, groups its talents into meaningful discussion points. Hmm. Now, the first of these two that we're going to talk about is the Silver Tongue. Hmm. Advisors talk, and they talk well. If a social encounter or social combat is coming, then this is the character the party turns to. It's the heart of their spec. And the, there are several talents within that simply let you use social skills better than other people. First up is plausible deniability. Two ranks in the tree at 5 and 15 XP. Each rank removes a setback die from coercion and deception checks. Very solid. Next up is kill with kindness. Now, strangely, we only have one rank of it at, at 5 XP, removing a setback from charm and leadership checks, likely due to the non-leadership focus of this spec. Most likely. But at 5 XP, why not? Why not? Nobody's fool. Two ranks at 10 and 20 XP. Each upgrades the difficulty of any charm, coercion, or deception check that targets you. It's the epitome of a social combat defense talent. Yeah. Next up is Smooth Talker. Two ranks attached at the hip at 15 XP each. You pick a social skill when you first take it. Each rank lets you spend a triumph to gain extra successes equal to your ranks in Smooth Talker. Mm -hmm. This talent is how an advisor wins social combat against a hut. <laughs> <laughs> When you've got an impressive but small three yellow dice pool against a two red and three purple difficulty, you're likely to roll a triumph, but probably won't get the successes you need to actually succeed the check. This talent changes all that and is essential for a social character. Agreed. Uh, next up is Natural Charmer at 20 XP. You get a once per session reroll of charm or deception. Boom. Boom. Take it. And finally, sense emotions. Now the force is finally directing and making your social skills better. Yes, it's 20 XP, but you get an automatic boost die to any charm, coercion, or deception check you make, as long as the target isn't immune to force powers. No droids. No droids. <clears throat> yeah, straightforward. Straightforward social archetype. Right. The Silver Tongue. Now, while the Silver Tongue is flashy and direct, the flip side of the coin of any social character, is being one who gets things done. And that is our second archetype um, of, of talents in this tree, the mover and the shaker. Mm. The contact. The somebody you go to when you need something. You are that somebody. You are an info gatherer. You are someone with contingency plans. The talents in this archetype represent all that, and also your ability to survive and pull one out of your ass when things go haywire. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the, these talents are, with very few exceptions, not flashy at all. Um, and those few that are, are not going to be used very often. But when they are, they will change the game. Um, so we got our, we got our, our, our non-flashy ones to really get out of the way. Toughened. Uh, one rank at 10, plus two year wound threshold. Because, you know, negotiations can sometimes get aggressive. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, grit. 
two ranks at 5 and 15, each giving you a plus one to your strain threshold, essential for social encounters. Know somebody. Look, you are an advisor. You know things, and you know people. Your skill ranks ensure you'll always be able to find the party a snitch, or a contact, or a fence. But this talent, two ranks at 5 and 15 XP, take it to the next level. Once a session, when you're purchasing a legally available item, you reduce its rarity by one for each rank. Again, not flashy. Not used that often. But when it is... (laughs) your party will be tremendously grateful. Mm. I mean, this can allow you to find something that you just otherwise simply could not find. Right. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a really, really handy talent. Um, yeah. very, very situational, but handy. And then, Phil, we come to knowledge is power. <laughs> Here we go. O-O-M-F-G. Um, it's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> Uh, this this one little talent is so discordant with the rest of the tree, and it is so goddamn powerful for 10 XP. <laughs> right. <laughs> Once per session, count your force rating as equal to your ranks in the knowledge lore skill for one check. This is why, this talent is why we told you to take a free rank in knowledge lore and then bump it up as much as possible. This is Mm -hmm. the pull it out of your ass force talent. When it matters, you can punch up three force points without breaking a sweat, despite your measly force rating of one. That's what this talent lets you do. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when, in a bit when we talk about force powers for this particular specialization, um, we'll talk about how that can really be seen in action, but this is a huge potential part of this build, um, especially considering the force is probably one of the few combative options you have available to you. Yeah. Um, next up is Contingency Plan. Uh, fin- another odd but very fitting talent. Fantastic uh, for cunning-focused advisors at 20 XP. Pop a Destiny Point, recover strain equal to your cunning. Great for social combat or for keeping you in the fight. Yeah. Um, Steely Nerves. It's 25 XP tier talent, but these talents usually are that are this awesome. Uh, Spend a a destiny point to ignore the effects of crits that impact your willpower or your presence. Bottom line. Um, It's a big defense talent that prevents you from being neutered where you can get hurt the most through those nasty characteristic affecting crits. Right. Um, Lastly, uh, we got Sense Advantage. Another bottom tier talent, but one of the most impressive support talents, in my opinion, in the game. Um, I'm a huge fan of debuffing talents in the first place. I don't think there are that many of them. Um, And this one's a doozy. Uh, Once per session, just add two setback dice to an NPC's skill check. Any check. Because the force. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's like, what's the setback die for? Because the force says so. That's it. There's no justification needed. Just, nope, he gets two setback die. That's it. Yep. Um, that is tremendously useful in virtually every situation you're going to come into, whether it be social combat or physical combat. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we round out the bottom of the tier of the tree with dedication and force rating. You'd expect to find these at the bottom of the tree, and they are. Mm-hmm. They are. Now, you mentioned force powers. I did. This is a force-sensitive character, after all. Yeah. And considering that they have a talent like Knowledge is Power and zero weapon-related combat capabilities, you would be remiss in deciding to stack up on Force Power or uh, Force Power or three in such a build. Yeah. But what works best? What should you consider? 
Now, of course, there are standby powers that will let you be combat effective with the Force or use the Force to enhance your social capabilities. Aside from these, it's also worth looking at Force powers that pair well with your knowledge as power talent if you've taken it. And, you know, are there powers that for minimal expenditure would really let you benefit from suddenly boosted Force rating? Absolutely. So we're going to take a look at powers that let you be effective in a variety of ways with minimal Force rating and much more effective with a temporary boost to your force rating. <sighs> now the first one is, of course, the no-brainer, influence. Yeah. It's the social force wielder's go-to power. Not only can it influence the minds of others, but it can flat-out control their thoughts and boost your social checks as you advance into it. Yeah. After that, of course, is move. We really can't, I mean, it's it's so, it's very ubiquitous. I mean, you, you have zero, like Phil said, you have zero combat capability. Okay, but with move, that changes. 10 XP, and all of a sudden you've got a ranged attack. Add 5 XP for magnitude, and you've got a bigger ranged attack. And using knowledge as power to suddenly lift a much larger object and brain somebody with it is, in that crucial moment when the need arises, is really cool. And to put this in perspective, with three ranks in knowledge lore, you could guaranteed lift a silhouette 2 object. Guaranteed even with a one in your force rating, as long as you use the knowledge as power talent. I think you mean uh, 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 5xp for strength upgrade. Magnitude upgrade allows you to pick up multiple objects. Oh, forgive me, I mistyped. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so for the strength upgrade. But, yeah. but I mean, at that point, I mean, as long as you're comfortable using dark side pips, you know, and that's cool with yeah. you, I mean, three ranks equals three force dice for the roll. You're guaranteed to get three force points, if not more, okay? Boom. And you can spend those on strength multiple times okay mm -hmm. so i mean <laughs> it's it, it's a phenomenal force power to have in your suite anyway but when you combine it with knowledge's power and several ranks in, in knowledge lore you can really be a big billy badass once a session yep and sometimes that's all you need that's right now another power that is worth noting is suppress from keeping the peace huh now, this is a very situational power, unless you know what kind of campaign you're going into. In a KOTOR era game, for instance, or any game where the GM is throwing force powers at your party willy-nilly, this power is pure gold. And for a mere 15 XP, you can get the core power and the strength upgrade, meaning that you get three ranks of lore with, usable, with usage of knowledge's power. You can add at least three failures to the opposing force user's die pool. Dang. If not more, if you roll well. If not more. That's really good. Um, another unusual one, and I guess the last one that I think is really worth mentioning in this same vein of mm -hmm. buy it cheap and, and you know use this, this special talent of knowledge's power to enhance it. Um, sure. I'm a huge fan of ebb and flow. Mm. Um, very cinematic power from Disciples of Harmony. Um, ebb flow lets you add a force power check to any skill check you make. Like, I don't know, social skill checks? Hmm. <laughs> Um, to either inflict strain on those engaged with you or heal strain. That sounds remarkably useful in a social encounter, Phil. Doesn't it? <laughs> but look, for 15 XP, you can get the core power and the magnitude upgrade. You combine that with, again, three ranks in lore and knowledge is power talent, you can exclude at least three allies from the negative effects of your strain suffering, which is nice. Or mm -hmm. if you go full bore and pop 20 XP for the core power and the strength upgrade, which with the same aforementioned skill and talent layout can let you inflict 
three strain or heal at least three strain. There you go. And that is like, <clears throat> listen, there's there's a fair number of talents and, and options out there to inflict strain or heal it. I mean, for Pete's sake, advantage can let you do that. But yeah. the ability to just tack that on to an existing action that you're already undertaking is is massive. Um, right. So I, I I'm a, I'm an absolutely huge fan of it. And even even without um, not the knowledge is power talent and lots of ranks and lore. Even if you just got one force point, ebb and flow is a really great choice, especially during a social encounter. Even if you're only rolling one force die, the ability to cause them a strain or heal one strain every single time you make a check during that social encounter is massively useful. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely huge, huge fan of ebb and flow. Huge fan. Now, like we do. We're now going to take a look at the best ways to augment an advisor build with some cross-specialization action. Uh. First up, we're going to talk about what's good, what works well, what things are going to augment to the best. You're looking for specs that are going to leverage your greatest strength, social influence, and group support. Okay. So what do we got first? Well, you want to stick in Force and Destiny? Let's also stick in the Mystics. Oh, okay. Well, okay, so for, for Mystics, I mean, honestly, if you if you really want to stay in Mystic... At, which is never a bad option because it's the cheapest cross-specking you can do. You don't have that plus 10 XP penalty. Mm. Um, neither specs are in, in, in the career are bad pairings. I mean, if you if you want to branch out into a spec that has combative ability, Makashi Duelist, it ain't bad. Um, especially if you're making a presence-focused advisor. I mean, obviously, there's huge synergy with Makashi there. Um, yeah. You know, it's possibly worth a small dip into the tree if that's what you're looking for. I mean... One dip, you've got access to a combat skill, and a couple talents down, you're looking at Makashi. And at that point, you can be a big Billy Badass with a lightsaber while still being a really effective presence-focused social character. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Seer spec, um, mm. because I, I, I love support characters. But but Seer, if you really are enjoying the support character aspect of, of Advisor, Seer offers even more ways to support your teammates. Uh, rapid reaction, forewarning, sense advantage, sense danger... And it's one of the few specs that offers you two force rating talents in the spec. Um, so you can really bump up your force rating quickly there. I, I, I think Seer is a, a wonderful specialization and a really effective cross spec for this build. Let's stick in force and destiny for now. Okay. Uh, and let's go to the first career in the in the book, Consolars. Ah. Now you, okay, now I would think I would think you would expect to see the advisor in Consular, right? Right, that's that's what we said at the beginning. Right, you talked about why not, but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how does how does the consular career then measure up to this? Very well, very well. Um, kind of like Makashi Duelist, Niman Disciple is a pretty good combat spec if you have a good willpower, and it gives you another rank and sense of motions. Um. Um, Sage is a solid choice. It adds in knowledge specialization for knowledge skill support, and it adds two more smooth talker talents. Oh. Right. Uh, the shining pairing from Consular that I think is the Arbiter. Nobody's fool, sense of motions, congenial, savvy negotiator, plus a smattering of lightsaber combat talents. Hmm. Now, it you still uses strength for the uh, brawn for those. So, you know, if you're taking a species that has a brawn hit, might not be a good choice, but yeah. there are at least a two. It could be a good it could be a good pairing. Yeah. Uh, the teacher is also a pretty fantastic spec to give support to the rest of the party, especially with force powers. Skilled teacher can help out anyone who needs to make skill checks that the teacher themselves are well versed with. 
So if you get a situation where everyone kind of needs to make their own charm checks or, or deception checks or anything like that, teacher can be a great buff to, uh, to help move that along. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Now, considering that Advisor is not a, a combat-focused spec, you know, obviously we talked about some, some good potential combative cross-specs, but there are some careers that have a much stronger, I guess you could say, combat focus. Yeah. Um, still in Force and Destiny, and I'm looking specifically to Guardian and then Sentinel. But with Guardian, you know, I, I kind of gravitated to that a little bit to see what was there. But but honestly, uh, when you look at Guardian, there's not a lot of great pairings. Yeah. Um, I mean, primarily because Guardians do two things the advisor isn't lead isn't good at, leading and fighting. Now, if you wanted to cross-spec in order to shore those things up, that's a, not a bad idea, but you're really going to be fighting against yourself, not only from a characteristic standpoint um, in terms of beefing up the appropriate characteristics, but really splitting your XP focus heavily. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Peacekeeper, War Leader, they're not bad if you do want to take on the leadership role and get leadership as a skill and start putting things into that. Um, and they can help leverage that high presence stat that you probably are going to have. But but your main theme, again, for an advisor is support, not command. Um, you know, of the two war of the two war leader is probably the better. It has more support based talents, but they're really kind of buried in the tree. And, you know, mm-hmm. Warden um, also offers some potential with skating tirade. I actually looked into the Warden as a potential when I was doing my build. Um, nice. because it's got skating tirade, bad cop and sense advantage. I mean, it adds some combat and survivability to the character. But as I found out when I was really going through my own build, like it just, there's, there's so much of an XP expenditure to get to those talents. Um, yeah. there, there's some much better options out there. And then you got to ask yourself again, if you're going to take on these leadership style roles that the guardian is really known for, um, why are you playing an advisor in the first place? I mean, if you just want to be a badass social character, there are other options out there. <laughs> Right. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't too thrilled with the Guardian as a choice. What about Sentinel? Makes sense. What about Sentinel though? Well, if you're a cunning-based advisor, Sentinel has some fun pairings for you. Oh. There isn't a ton of overlap with the Shadow, but an advisor Shadow can make deception checks really work well for them with Slippery Minded and Now You See Me. Mm. Get a couple ranks of Indistinguishable in there, and it can help make you the shadowy power behind the throne, as it were. But even then, just this. Well, that- I, I would say even then, I would say, I mean, there. I mean, if it, if it's just deception pure, there are other specs out there that can give you deception with more talents that are going to overlap with the yeah. shadow. I mean, you know, scoundrel being one of them. Um, and of course, Shian expert would allow you to leverage a high cunning with a combat skill, yeah. but you know, that's really the only thing that we use that for. Yeah, that's really the only thing you would. Yeah. Okay. Now, getting out of book or getting out of that book and moving on to some of the other lines, yeah. let's talk about Edge of the Empire. Okay. Um, the colonist. Oh, duh. Yeah, the colonist, of course. Yeah, this career is going to provide you with the most options for solid pairings. Let's start with Politico. Mm. Kill with kindness, plausible deniability, access to scathing tirade and inspiring rhetoric. This is an advisor's dream. Yeah. Now, inspiring rhetoric is a leadership-based talent. However, if you've got a high presence, you can still leverage it just fine. You know, inspiring rhetoric usually isn't hinged upon you needing to roll triumphs. They're just busy on you rolling advantages and and successes. If you've got a four in presence, you can roll that and boost your allies. Uh, The entrepreneur can turn your advisor into the guy the party wants to bring with them for any contract negotiations or business ventures. (laughs) 
There isn't a lot of talent overlap, but the talents in the tree can provide additional options for uh, social support of other characters' actions. Now, a fun but oddball one is the Marshal. It can be a really fun pairing for an advisor and a way to get some combat skill into the character as well. Good cop and bad cop do a great job boosting other allies' social skill checks, too. Which is kind of your deal. Yeah. Now, this one's a bit of an odd concept, but an advisor-performer offers a ton of overlap in skill use and talents with smooth talker, kill with kindness, and congenial. Ooh. And distracting behavior is a solid way to help allies and hinder opponents. I was, th- you know, it, it didn't fit with my theme, but I was wrestling with two themes for my build, and I, yeah. I almost went with an advisor performer because there really is a crap ton of cool synergy there for a a support social character. It's weird. That's it's it. weird. That's awesome, though. That's totally awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So Politico is obviously the, uh, excuse me, the colonist is obviously the big career for good synergies in Edge of the Empire, yep. um, but there's a few others out there. Um, a couple. Uh, the explorer career I go to, specifically taking a look at the trader, um, very similar to the entrepreneur you mentioned earlier. It has a very strong potential pairing if you're you're more of a financial inclined advisor. Um, you know, more ranks of know somebody, smooth talker, and convincing demeanor. They can really fortify that advisor's ability to to buy and sell needed equipment and valuables. Um, which you know, if that's a, a strong support role your party needs, this could be a really good pairing. Right. Um, moving to smuggler. Uh career. Advisor scoundrels offer a lot more uh, convincing demeanor and throw in some rapid reaction for team initiative support just for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, advisors get a lot of support from the charmer tree though. God, yeah. Smooth talker, inspiring rhetoric, kill with kindness, disarming smile, congenial, don't shoot. <laughs> if you're a charm-based advisor, take a serious look at the charmer. Yeah, advisor charmer is awesome. Absolutely yes. awesome. Now totally. the the last line to really delve into for cross-spec is, of course, Age of Rebellion. And there are sure. many ways that a mystic advisor can help out the Rebel Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of going through the book at some of the highlight careers and specs within. Um, on the commander career, um, you know, taking a look at that, there, there's not a whole lot of great set of choices, kind of for the aforementioned reasons we talk about from some sure. other options. Because commander is a leadership career. Um, you know, and those social options in Commander, they all utilize leadership. But even so, there is one good pairing for support purposes. Of all the Commander specs, the Instructor um, gives the advisor a natural pairing for party support. I mean, yes. I mean, yeah, it, it is mostly leadership-based. So, okay, so take some ranks in leadership. But the point is, with a good presence, you're going to go really far in providing support like encouraging words, bodyguard, master instructor. Um the, you know, I mean, yeah, it might be leadership focused, but still thematically, you are still as an instructor very much fitting into the support role um, that's intended for this particular uh, advisor build um, and concept, much more so than a leadership role. Absolutely. Uh, now, the big one from Age of Rebellion that offers a lot of variety is the yeah. diplomat. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the Rebel Alliance sometimes sends teams of ambassadors to try to win over governments, corporations, and other organizations to their cause. Advisors can certainly gain great benefit from cross-specking into Ambassador for more kill with kindness and for gaining access to inspiring rhetoric. Now, a cunning and willpower-based advisor can become a scarily effective agitator. 
plausible deniability and convincing demeanor, intimidating, and access to scathing tirade helps leverage that cunning stat to good use. Yeah. Uh, quartermasters, they're more, they're, they are quite like a more military-based trader spec. So they're great for more ranks and know somebody and smooth talker. Mm-hmm. Uh, advocates make a great pairing for advisors. Not much talent overlap, but great synergy with discredit and improved plausible deniability, as well as party support with supporting evidence. I will tell you, Phil, the advocate and the advisor, they really are mirror trees. I mean, in terms of their thematic focus. They're, yes. They're, they're king. I mean, the advocate's described as what? The kingmaker, basically? Yes. I mean, and that's, yes. that's what the advisor is. I'm a huge fan of that pairing thematically. It's a good pairing. Uh, and finally, propagandists can make for excellent advisors, allowing them to leverage charm with improved positive spin and deception with bad press and improved in the know. Mm, good suggestion. Yes. We have a question later in messages that deals with the propagandist. Oh, um, great. Yeah. So, okay. We've gone through a lot of good potential cross-spec options. Mm. Let's talk about the bad. <laughs> yes. what, what works horribly? What cross-spec options should you try and avoid as, as just, fr- quite frankly, poor mechanical or thematic choices? Um, yep. you know, rather than go through the entire book line, we'll, we'll, we'll call out the, the handful that are just really poor options, guys. Um, the first for me um, in, the, in the Force and Lessening line is Seekers. Um, mm-hmm. I think this career has even fewer good pairings than Guardians, that being none. It has no good <laughs> pairings. Um, every single spec in Seeker is either based on combat or survival, specifically individual survival. There is yeah. almost nothing here that is focused on party support, nothing to directly support your allies. Right. And Warrior to a similar vein, really the only direct pairing here that could work is Aggressor because it uses coercion and deception to a degree. Otherwise, stay away from the warrior specs. Yeah, it's too much XP dissonance and, and disparity, characteristic bloat. It, yeah, no way. Um, yeah. From Edge of the Empire, guys, for much of the same reasons, avoid bounty hunters, hired guns, and technicians. There are, are no specs with any good synergies from these careers for the advisor. I mean, really, yeah. there's just not. And finally, from Age of Rebellion, you probably want to avoid everything else we haven't mentioned. Aces, all the other commander specs, soldiers, spies, and engineers. None of the other specs provide your character with anything that will grant them bonuses to social skills or provide direct party support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, now, guys, <clears throat> we come to the point in Will Isn't That Special where we're going to put our advice into practice with our much-loved build-off. Mm-hmm. The hosts, Phil and I, are going to go head-to-head with our own advisor builds, which you can vote for after the show on the D20 Radio forums and on the Order 66 podta- podcast Facebook page. Our rules are simple. Each of us creates a starting character using the normal rules and advances that character with 100 earned XP. That's it. So, Phil, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I will go first. Oh, I cannot wait. All right. My build today is named Modran Green, a forceful advisor. <laughs> At a young age, Modran knew he had a gift. He was always a charming individual and able to get others to believe any tale he told. He had a knack for conversation, winning over just about everyone he met. He eventually deduced that he had force sensitivity and sought out the secrets the force contained. The charming Togruta had made a series of contacts across the galaxy, 
contacts he used to get information he any information he could on the legendary Jedi ability of Mind Trick and its use in influencing others. Now, armed with the basic knowledge and some enhanced tricks, Modran travels the galaxy with his friends, acting as their resident advisor, negotiator, wordsmith, and when necessary, con artist. Now, beginning character creation. I chose Togruta because of their bonus to cunning and their innate pack tactics ability, granting two boost dice when assisting other characters. Ooh. Started with 110 XP after choosing the bonus 10 boost from morality. I bumped up his willpower and presence to 3. Now, I thought about keeping willpower at 2 and moving cunning to 4, but this gives me a better spread for my concept and saves me 10 XP. Starting skill ranks are Charm, Lore, and Perception from Mystic, as well as Deception and Negotiation from Advisor. I picked up No Somebody, Kill with Kindness, and Nobody's Fool, all for uh, 20 XP. Okay. Force powers. Modran has a few tricks up his sleeve. He starts, but with he spends thirty his last thirty XP on influence, range upgrade one, and control skills, allowing him to add his force die to every social skill check he makes. Modran is a crafty individual and perceptive. He knows when it's time to try to win someone over with charm, or when he it's better to deceive them. He also has some skill with using the force to help influence others. So you've got you've kept straight advisor to this point. I did, I did, and I'm I'm keeping straight advisor too. Ooh. I'm not going to leave after the, when we get to the advanced build, and instead I will continue to let Modran do his thing. I'm going to buy knowledge lore up to rank three for 25 XP. Grit and knowledge is power, plausible deniability, and sense emotions. That's 50 XP. Then we go back to influence for control, emotion slash belief, strength upgrade. And the Magnitude Upgrade 1 for 25 XP. Now, Modren is a perceptive, charming, willful Togruta who has studied the Mysteries of the Force. He is aware that he has Force ability and is able to use that to help add extra weight to his wiles and deceptions. This enhancement allows Modren to talk his way into or out of most situations. When necessary, he can call on that mystic knowledge to greatly enhance his Force potential and convince those he's talking to to aid him and his allies to believe the lies he's telling them, or to simply fall over from the massive migraine he's able to stun them with. That's awesome. And so, that is Modran. That is Modran. So you were able to make a successful build that uh, literally didn't cross spec at all, despite right. the character's quote-unquote non-combat ability. Correct. Interesting. Very interesting. And by being just the, the Togruta... He can, if he has nothing else he can really do in combat, he can just simply say, hey, I give you an assist. Here's two boost dice. Which is huge. Which is huge. Absolutely huge. That's wonderful. Right. Well done. By the way, uh, GM Dave is actually in chat. Apparently, they are streaming the, uh, the show live at, the, at, uh, at Game Night, his game store. So, Woo-hoo! hi, Game Night. <laughs> Hello, Game Night. Hello, GM Dave. Well, I am going to light a pipe. Very good. Mm. You do that. Enjoy that. Because I am really curious about hearing your build. I, I'm, I see the title here, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what, where this goes. Well, I'm lighting a pipe to get myself in the mood. Uh-huh. Because my advisor build is Wiko Knees, a Toydarian advisor agitator. 
Um, I really became infatuated when we were researching this spec um, with the concept of, of of an ignoble advisor. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes. Someone who, who uses his social abilities and the force for less than savory means. Not necessarily for a bad cause, but in less than savory ways. Um, more coercion and biting remarks than smooth, silky negotiations. A smarmy, disgusting, little toad of a character that makes his enemies cry. <laughs> cry like little porgs. Um... And to that end, the Toydarian was my first choice, uh, both thematically and mechanically. Um, now, Wiko Neeks was the child of merchants uh, who had their livelihood commandeered by the Empire. Filled with bitterness and rage, he joined the Rebellion, where he takes pride in stirring up anti-Imperial sentiment and casting doubt, letting his biting humor and cutting remarks do the work for him. And when called upon, he is a natural negotiator and diplomat, but his heart lies in interrogation, in being a sny little black-hearted scumbag who riles people up. And he's really good at it. Uh, Wiko has no idea that he is Force-sensitive. For him, it's just natural luck and skill. So, for beginning character creation, as a Toydarian, Wiko only gets 90 starting XP. But that's totally mm -hmm. worth it for starting threes in both willpower and presence and a 12-plus will strain threshold. Um, he's got a one in brawn, a one in agility, but I don't care. <laughs> if he's ever forced to pick up a blaster, something has gone terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wiko's proclivities and eventual likely use of influence to invoke dark emotions in people is going to send him down a dark side path. Um, to that end, he's going to start with a 50 in morality for the plus 10 XP boost. Um, he's going to need it. Yeah. Uh, Wiko's going to begin an advisor for the free force rating um, and the ability to take force talents. And with his 100 starting XP now, he'll drop 30 to bring cunning up to three. That is threes in cunning, presence, and will. Much like you, Phil, I kind of wanted him high across the board. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. Now, his free skill ranks are going to go to charm, coercion, and knowledge lore on the career side, a second free rank in charm, and a free rank in deception on the spec side. With 70 XP remaining, he's going to immediately drop 30 XP to branch into the Diplomat's Agitator from the Age of Rebellion core rulebook. That's going to give him that's going to give him access to some really good talents, also knowledge underworld, not that useful, but it's there if he needs it. Um, 40 XP left in character creation. Uh, 20 of that's going to go to deception and coercion uh, to, uh, to get to rank two in each. I want his starting dice pools for charm, deception, and coercion to be at two yellow, one green. Whatever the Rebellion needs his words for, he is going to be prepared. Okay? Yeah. 20 XP left. 10 of it is going to go to two 5 XP ranks of grit from both talent trees, um, advisor and agitator. That's going to pump his strain threshold to 17. All right? <laughs> um, his last 10 XP will buy a rank of convincing demeanor in agitator, making his deception just that much easier. At the end of character creation, he's a nasty social character with a focus on surviving social encounters, high strain threshold, um, and succeeding at interrogations and threats. Now, as I advance him with 100 earned XP, he's going to focus on what he's good at and then augment it with the force. As soon as he's able, he's going to drop 15, then 20 XP to nab scathing tirade and improved scathing tirade from the agitator. Coercion, mm. 
is his first love. He's a good coercer. He's going to use it in a an active social role with scathing tirade. Mm. Um, 65 XP left. Next, he's going to drop 15 XP to move into influence power and the magnitude upgrade for it. Um, he's going to start to unconsciously use the force to make other people angry or afraid. Um, and the influence force power is the way he's going to do that. Um, magnitude will let him affect multiple targets. Um, 50 XP left. On the tails of that, 10 XP is going to get him to rank 2 uh, in knowledge lore, and another 10 will get him the knowledge is power talent. Now, once per session, he gets to roll two force dice when using his influence power, letting him affect multiple targets with his force-powered rhetoric easily. Uh, 30 XP left now. 15 of it I will spend to bring coercion up to rank 3. Back an advisor, 5 XP will give him a needed rank of streetwise, another 5 XP for a rank of the plausible deniability talent. Now he ignores two setback dice on his deception checks and one on his coercion checks. And lastly, he's going to swing back to Agitator and spend his last 5 XP for a rank of Intimidating, letting him use his monstrous strain threshold to easily power downgraded coercion checks he makes. Nice. At 100 earned XP, Weak Knees makes his foes weak at the knees. With biting <laughs> remarks and insults, he can easily pull off uh, to force strain and setback dice. He can gather info, charm, lie, and intimidate like a boss. And with his unrecognized force gift, he can make the rabble angry enough to rebel. Just what the Alliance needs and what Wiko loves. You know, and as I look at this character and I advance him even further past the 100 XP, I imagine he would continue to beef up the influence power. Um, yep. Adding more ranks to knowledge lore probably and working to get a second rank of intimidating from agitator. And the smooth talker talents from advisor, which will eventually let him break even the most resilient of Imperial sympathizers in interrogation. Yeah. So that's Weak Knees. I like it. I like it a lot. So what have we learned <laughs> from these two disparate builds? And, uh, you know, final thoughts on the advisor spec. <laughs> Influence is king. <laughs> You're a force-sensitive spec. Um, don't overlook the potential of force powers even if you never buy up that that force point um just having influence can be a huge help yeah you know just another way to use that force die to your advantage i agree uh, otherwise look at ways to help your allies mm -hmm. that's your job that be is your job. winning social encounters or by boosting their efforts couldn't agree more it's such an unusual spec i really enjoy going through these um, it made for a, an interesting exercise in creating <laughs> a build. Um, and I, you know, I know, I know this type of character is not your bag normally, man. It is not my bag. It took me so long to figure out where I was going to go with this build. Like this, this type of character is my bag. I, yes. I, I love playing support characters and I love playing social characters. So this was kind of a thrill to me. And honestly, I, I can't wait for the chance to get one of these guys on the table. So. Woohoo. Woohoo. Um, guys, thank you all for the suggestion, uh, the four of you who recommended this. Um, you guys, if you have any particular specializations you'd like us to cover, um, you can email us, uh, GM Chris, GM Dave, or GM Phil at d20radio.com. You can head to the forums, d20radio.com slash forums. We have a dedicated thread just for this topic in the Order 66 podcast boards. You can also go to Facebook, head to the Order 66 podcast Facebook page, post it up. We'd love to see it. 
And speaking of things that people have requested of us, Phil. Yes. Should we perhaps, uh, do, we have, do we have any time to get into some messages from The Edge? Oh, absolutely. Well, let us do so. He doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from The Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Welcome to Messages from the Edge, our regular show segment where we take the time to answer your game and rules questions about the system. How can you get us these questions you might ask? Well, the easiest way is to travel to our forums, aforementioned, post it up, um, register, head to the Order 66 podcast boards. Uh, You'll find another dedicated thread for Messages from the Edge. You can also, again, email us, uh, GM Chris, Dave, or Phil at d20radio.com, post it up on Facebook, or if you are brave enough, leave us a question via voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline. That's 262-D20-RADIO, 262-320-7234. I want to give a special shout-out to Lance, not GM Lance, but Lance, who actually left a very good question on the voicemail for us over the holidays. Lance, we're not going to get to it this week because, quite frankly, it is worthy of a show topic in and of itself. Um, and, and we need to plan that. Lance had a very, very meaty question, Phil. Um, he has difficulties, you know, as a, as a, a modern GM, like most of us are, there's a lot of benefit to using pre-published modules. Sure. But what he finds is that unlike a game that he creates himself, where you are just, because you created it innately familiar with every part and parcel, he finds himself often getting lost with a pre-made module. You know, okay, Mm -hmm. what NPC is what? What does what? Okay, what, what if they, what if narrative dice gets crazy and they go off the rails? What do I do? How do I salvage all this information into something usable? Oh, yeah, that's a show topic. <laughs> that's a huge and wonderful show topic, um, but uh, it's going to require a bit of preparation on our part. So right. forgive us, Lance. We haven't forgotten about you, and we will come back to it because I think that's an excellent show topic. Um, but we do have a couple questions tonight that actually came in via email. Um, our, Great. F- our first one tonight comes in from Lady Shrike 57 who mm-hmm. wrote this. Um, help me order 66. My group recently started a rebel campaign and I decided to make a propagandist from desperate allies because I love the concept. Mira Sorna is a Twi'lek hollow vid star and journalist who uses her fame to stir up anti-imperial ideas among her fan base. The issue I'm having is that our DM opened up all the books, and only two characters, including myself, are from Age of Rebellion. So we're the only two who have duty. My propagandist has gotten to the point where I now have the improved positive spin talent, but it only ever works on me and the commando in the party. It seems like a waste, and my DM says it's working like it's supposed to. I really like support characters, but I don't like only supporting two party members, one of which is me. Um, are there rules for using positive spin outside of duty? What can I do to make this character more useful? Thanks, and I never listen to Order 66. Wow. This is That's a tough one. Yeah, man, you want to take this one? Oh, sh- sure, sure. Uh, okay, so we talked about the propagandist briefly in the, in the, in the meat talk, uh, but it's found on page 30 of Desperate Allies. It's a very intriguing social character and one who has some very awesome tricks. But some of the most intriguing parts of their talent options are positive spin and improved positive spin. 
For those following along, positive spin is a ranked talent that automatically increases the amount of duty a character earns when they earn duty. Improved positive spin lets you make a charm check to guarantee that someone's duty triggers when no duty triggers at the start of the session. These talents ensure that your party advances rapidly and that contribution ranks are met and benefits are received. Where this talent starts to get weird is in a party like yours with mixed characters. When you've only got two characters using duty, it's much tougher to even get a contribution rank. Oddly, you've picked possibly the one character option that has a hard time functioning in a mixed-line party. So let's start by saying this. Positive spin is not your character's only capability. First of all, you're a stellar social character, and talents like In the Know and Bad Press are not only unique to your specialization and concept, but don't rely on duty to function. The way we see it, there are two ways you could go. Mm -hmm. First, don't get hung up on the fact that only two party members have duty. Use that. And now that you have improved positive spin, you can ensure that the party's duty, small as it is, is advancing every single session. This means that contribution ranks will increase eventually and quicker than not. You're still an excellent party support character though uh, through your other social capabilities. Don't get hung up on, on positive spin's limited use. Now, if it really bothers you, you could ask for a free retrain from your GM Explain your concerns, and if your GM agrees, then you can relocate those XP talents that have a broader party usage than what you're looking for. Finally, another thing that you could do is try to convince the other characters in the party to officially join the Rebel Alliance. By joining the Rebel Alliance, they're going to start getting a duty score. Then you can leverage it out with the rest of them as well. See, that's a really good thought. And, you know, as a GM, I know it can be daunting if you have characters that already have obligation or morality and you want to give them duty. But in a situation like this especially, and if you are playing, as she said, a rebel-focused game, it seems like it's kind of worth it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So see if they'll sign up. If you can get even one or two other people in the... I don't know how many players there are, but if you can get even one or two other players at the table to say, yeah, you know what? I believe in this. I I want to join the Rebel Alliance and help out how I can then they're going to have a duty that you'll be able to trigger and your that uh, that uh, commission that's commission score is going to go up quick. Hmm. Yeah. Good suggestions. Good suggestions. Okay. An excellent question. Um, I hope that helped. Yeah. Hope that helped. Absolutely. I hope so too. Now, our last question tonight is another emailed one, this time from Clive Jennings, who writes this. Greetings from across the pond. I'm writing about a house rule my GM is using that I'm just not a fan of. <laughs> I'm not sure how to bring this up to him, and it feels like it's devaluing my character's abilities. I have created a Bothan scout who is a perception machine. His perception pool is currently at three yellow dice. There's almost nothing he misses. However, we have another character who is a human gunslinger, and his vigilance is even better, three yellows and one green. The player made the case several sessions ago that he could use his vigilance to notice details around him, and the GM agreed. Look, I'm all for using different skills to accomplish the same goal, but at this point, the character is volunteering his vigilance to notice and spot everything, before I can even speak up. Last session, the GM wanted us to notice something and actually looked at the, to his player, expecting him to roll vigilance. I created a scout. My job is to be that kind of character. How can I break to my GM that this other player that I and this other player that I feel my character is being squandered and that they are using the rules incorrectly? Help me order 66. You're my only hope. 
Signed, Clive from Bristol. Ouch. Um, damn, Clive. Uh, well, first of all, I think we need to clarify some rules issues that are completely separate from the reality of your gaming issue. Um, yes. When we look into the specific descriptions of Vigilance, and I'm, I'm referring page 129 of Force and Destiny just because that's the closest core rulebook at hand. Um, you have to realize that it's not just an initiative skill. Vigilance represents your overall preparedness and sense of paranoia, and the description of vigilance even goes so far as to say that vigilance checks can be made retroactively to confirm preparedness. Furthermore, when it comes to observation, the description for vigilance actually calls out that the GM can allow for a vigilance check to notice small but important details in your surrounding while you're not specifically looking for them. But that is the key differentiator here. As a GM, when a character says, what do I see? Or I'm going to look for clues, etc. Then perception should be the skill they use. But for passive perceivings of things, when the GM wants you to find something you weren't looking for or asking to look for, then vigilance can be used. As can perception, for that matter. Okay, This is where I think your GM might be a bit confused. Maybe a bit. I mean, I mean, several skills can be used circumstantially in this way. I mean, survival can be used to locate or search for tracks. Computers could be used to locate or search for attempts to breach a system. I mean, et cetera, et cetera. There is a fair bit of skill overlap here. But the core problem I think you're having, Clive, is that your character, you feel, is being overshadowed by another. Am, am I reading too much into that, Phil? I don't think so. And, and, and this is a related, I think, but very different problem. Without knowing much more, based on just the email you sent us, Clive, we're going to take a highly accurate and pretty experience-informed guess that this gunslinger is probably the party lead. Mm. <laughs> um, would you say that's probably what the case, Phil? Um, it sounds it's, it sounds like they're at least influential, yes. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the player who typically takes charge. Um, and he's probably, maybe experienced speaking here, longtime friends or gaming buddies with the GM. Mm. Um, the point I'm making is that your GM is not, most likely not doing this maliciously or intentionally. They're doing it unconsciously, okay? So, what do we recommend? First of all, you need to talk to your GM, and only the GM, privately. You need to let him know your concerns, and tell him, look, I've built a character who specializes in something, uh, that he's not being called upon to use, um, when he could be, and and discuss the skill usage question that we've talked about. Ask him why he's running it the way he is. And furthermore, speak up during the game. I mean, when the GM calls upon this other player for a vigilance check, interrupt nicely and say, hey, guys, since we're actively looking, uh, this should be perception, and I'm really good at that. Let me try a check. Basic- yeah. I mean, ba- basically, you're, you're nicely and passively reinforcing your role in the party. Um you know, and, you know, it, it could very well be that, that it's, now, another option could be that we have a min-max player here who literally is going to enforce his use of vigilance because it has one more die than your perception pool. Mm. <laughs> okay, but uh, that's super cheese and is not the way the system is designed to work. Um, yeah. I mean, look, Clive, if all else fails and you can't muster the words to, to say this in session or to your GM... Play this episode for him, or at least this segment for him. Let him hear us. Let him hear us talk. Um, 
because I mean, I mean, maybe we can convince him, but you, you've got to be the one. You've got to let him be the one to defer to your character's actions in these situations. He is the GM. The truth is, he probably doesn't even realize what he's doing. Okay, um, so just go out on the leap, bring it up, and I, I bet you dollars to donuts he'll be surprised and he'll he'll change his GMing style accordingly. So I don't know. I, I hope that advice helps someone. I mean, Phil, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, um, typically what I do is when there's a situation where a player wants to use a skill that's not the best fit for it, but is reasonably close enough, I'll increase the difficulty by one. So Good if it's an suggestion. average check for perception, it's a hard check for vigilance. Good suggestion. Good to, I, I do that as well. Yeah. Because this is the yes and system, right? Sure. But in this situation, you've got a character who's like, you know, okay, well, I... I have, you know, I mean, even, even if the, even if you have a min-maxer who's making the dice pool argument like that, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, you got one more die in the pool, but it's a harder check. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really good advice. I like it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, again, if you guys have any questions uh, for the Order 66 podcast or messages from the edge, whether they be mechanics-related, role-playing related, anything, just get them to us. Email us. Post them up on the forums. Post them up on Facebook. We want to know. And now it is time to bring an end to our lovely episode. Ah. <laughs> first um, one of the new year. First one of the new year. Um, guys, if you're not already, become a member of the Gamer Nation. Uh, head to d20radio.com. Follow us. Uh, head to the forums. Register. Post your mind. Call us uh, or email us. 262d20radio. Uh, uh, 262-320-7234 GM Chris, GM Dave, or GM Phil at d20radio.com Leave us a liner! Tell us why you never listen to the Order 66 podcast. We'd love to get those. Um, right now, unless something radical changes, um, we will most likely uh, have our next show topic on the calling question discussed um, mm-hmm. uh, about running pre-canned adventures um, and our best tips and tricks for making that happen smoothly and easily. Um sure. Failing that, we also know, as you mentioned earlier, Phil, we have a book that is coming. <laughs> um, a book? A, a, yeah, there are quite a few coming in rapid order. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, we, we rarely do, we, we obviously love to do our book shows, um, uh, episodes, but we rarely do them right after the book releases. We usually like to give it a couple weeks for it to get in people's hands. Um, and really let them enjoy it, but those are obviously in the works too. But if you guys have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, again, email us, call us, post it up on social media or on the forums. Uh, we, we want to talk about what you want us to talk about. So there it is. (laughs) All right, Gamer Nation. Thanks for tuning in. This is GM Chris wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And this is GM Phil. May the dice be with you. You've been listening to the Order 66 podcast brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William Thiel. This podcast and related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited, and its content is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast and Gamer Nation LFC. Mm-hmm.